Hello, this is Terry Cheek, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Marion, North Carolina. I want to thank you for choosing our broadcast, and my prayer is that it will be an encouragement to your walk with the Lord. Comments or questions can be directed to me via the link on our sermon audio page. Now, on to your selection. So as we think about the service this morning, as we think about the message and God's Word, I want to ask you a question. How many of you went through this week and didn't commit a sin? How many of you went through this week and did not have one fault, did not have one failure? Now, I'm going to ask you another question. And I'm not necessarily interested in a show of hands. How many of you confessed those sins, faults, and failures? Did you confess them to God? Did you have a conversation with Him? How many of you confessed those sins, faults, and failures to the people that they were committed against? Those are some serious things that take place in the lives of a Christian and in the life of a church. And James is going to address those this morning. So notice with me in verse 16, beginning with verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Have you ever prayed and felt like your prayers didn't get anywhere? Have you ever really prayed and, and, and genuinely you, you poured your heart into it, but you felt like they weren't going anywhere? Did it dawn on you that maybe, just maybe, there may be something between you and God or something between you and someone else. When we think about that, let's go back to Jesus for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, Jesus says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take thee one or two more, that the mouth of two or three witnesses by every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, then tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, then let them be unto thee as a heathen and as a public. And then in Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, I'm sorry, in Matthew and Luke chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. And Jesus, when he, when he heard, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy from whom he should do this. If we want to be worthy 
We want to be righteous as James talks about here. We need to make sure that we're in tune with God. That we're where God wants us to be. And in order for us to be where God wants us to be, we have to be in tune with other people and with each other. So with that said, when we talk about confessing and confessing our faults one to another, there's a couple of things that we have to take seriously. First of all, we have to take seriously that God means what He says. That He means it when He says that we have to have a good relationship with one another. I think often in churches we struggle with this. I think often in families we struggle with this. We struggle with having a good relationship because we struggle with wanting a good relationship. We often had rather be at odds with somebody than we had having a good relationship with them. There has to be a willingness on everybody's part. One person can't do it for everyone. It takes everyone doing it and following God's Word and God's direction. There has to be a willingness to admit when something's been done wrong, when there's a fault. There has to be a willingness to say, listen, I messed up here. I was agitated. I was, for whatever the reason may be, I said, I done, I, I got involved with, I got over, whatever it may be. It, it really doesn't matter what the reasoning was behind it. The fact is, if you have a fault in your life and it involves another person, and all faults and sins and failures do involve other people, then it needs to be talked out between those two. And not only does it need to be admitted, but the person that's being talked to about it needs to receive it. That seems to be a big problem. People seem to enjoy hanging on to bitter resentment. People seem to enjoy holding on to bitterness and anger and frustration just because it gives them something to come back to. Well, I can keep them in check if I can keep this held over their head. It's not our job to keep each other in check. It's our job to be obedient to the Word of God. It's our job to love one another. Not our job to hold each other accountable or hold a whip over someone's head or hold a fault or a failure. We confess those faults and failures that we have against other people and other people have against us and we are to be forgiving. We are to confess and we are to be forgiving. It takes two people to make this verse happen. Confess your faults one to another. More than one. And it doesn't give us a liberty to continue down that road of committing these faults. When we confess them, when we talk about them, 
when we discuss them, when we get behind them, we repent of them, and we don't go back and revisit them again. We don't keep going back to the well. Because this is not about emotions. It's not about opinions. It's not about thoughts. It's not about, it's not about some of these some deep-seated emotional feelings that we may have. It's about what God wants from His church. You and I. He wants us to be forgiving of one another. And He wants us to pray for one another. Notice the confession came before the prayer. There's a reason for that. God doesn't want us coming to Him while we've got something between each other. He wants us He wants us to get on the right page with each other. There's a, another piece of Scripture that Jesus talks about where He talks about somebody bringing their offering. Bringing their offering to the temple. Jesus says, if you're bringing your offering to the temple and you know that there's problems between you and another person, leave your offering and go get things right before you come and give it. Now that was part of the temple worship. If you have an animal to sacrifice, Jesus was saying, and you're bringing that in worship, and you're going to offer it as a sacrifice for the sins that you have committed, before you go through that, before you do that, leave the animal alive and standing, and then go take care of the problem with the other person, and then come back. Why? Because God doesn't want an offering given that way. So if we're going to give our, our financial offerings, if we're going to give our service offerings, if we're going to show up and worship, if we're going to be a part of the overall worship of God and we're going to be offering ourselves, our resources, everything that we have, and we're going to be giving that to God, don't you think that God wants us right with one another before we bring it to Him? He wants us right with one another. He wants us right with those that we work with, those that are in our household, in our families. It does no good for me to come up here to preach on Sunday morning if I and Lori have something between us. No good whatsoever. God's not going to be in it. He wants that thing resolved. It does married couples no good to come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings, whatever it may be. It does you no good to go sit down, pick up a hymnal, start singing, open your Bibles and start reading if you have problems with husbands and wives or children and parents. Until... You get those resolved. God's not going to be in it because there's no forgiveness and there's no love that is present. There's anxiety and stress and frustration. God wants rid of that stuff. 
He wants us to pray. He wants us to pray. And He wants us to pray because we have a good relationship with Him. And He wants us to pray because we have a good relationship with one another. Think about this from God's perspective. When you pray for someone, if you genuinely and truly have something against that person, how are you going to bring them before God and ask God to touch their heart and life and bless them? How are you going to bring them before God and ask God to do anything in their life if you have something between them, something that some bitterness, some anger, some frustration? Where is the love and the kindness and the goodness of God in that prayer? If we want to be the people that God has saved us to be, we're going to have to first look inward at ourselves. I realize people hurt us. I have been hurt deeper than, than I care to talk about. And I'll say this, sometimes folks in the church can be some of the meanest people there are walking. They really can. I've been hurt deeply by people in churches. But I've learned, I've learned to forgive. I've learned to love. I have learned to put that behind me. I have learned how to move forward and move beyond it and let God deal with them. I've learned how to talk with them, how to talk to them how to communicate to them, how to love them in spite of themselves. And then if I have any issues, if I have any problems, if I get vindictive, if I had gotten vindictive, I learned to confess it to them. And I learned to ask their forgiveness. Because that's what God wants. And that's not just the people in the pulpit. That's not just the folks that are pastoring and preaching. That's what He wants from all of us. It's not a hard pill to swallow. Pride is a hard pill to swallow. What God asks of us is just that we submit and that we become obedient and submissive to Him. But where does it all go? Where does it all build up to? The end of verse 14. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person. Effective. The effectual means the effective. Fervent means energetic, anxious, meaningful. Does anybody here not want their prayers to be meaningful? Does anybody not want God to hear their prayer and does not want God to deal with them and, and answer those prayers? I think every Christian wants God to, to be effective and, and, be, and look at their prayer life and their prayers and wants their prayers to touch the throne of grace and for God to handle them. If we want our prayers to be effective, 
we need to follow God's prescription for an effective prayer life. And that's going to begin with and continue by confession to God, confession to one another, and then at that developing prayer life through love and kindness and obedience and submission. That doesn't mean we don't call sin, sin. That doesn't mean that we don't uh, that, that we don't consider and follow discipline and that we find, follow order in a godly fashion. But what it does mean is that we make sure that we're not the ones that are trying to prescribe to God how He handles a situation or how He handles a person. God has never saved anyone to be on an advisory council. He has saved everyone to be His people, to be His life as I shared with the children this morning. You and I are His light. You and I are the difference that people are going to see in the world. If we are, if we are fighting and quarreling and bickering and, and if we're backbiting each other and if we're gossiping and if we're slandering and if we are doing the same thing to each other that the world is doing, what reason do they have to consider Christ? We are supposed to be the light. We are supposed to be the ones setting the example. We're supposed to be the ones who are different. Not just pretending to be, not playing a role or a part. We're not actors. Actors are hypocrites. That is the Greek word for an actor. It is a hypocrite. We're not role playing. It is our character. It is who we are. We need to embrace it. We need to reach out and grab it. And we need to ask God to stir our hearts and stir our soul so that we can go about life the way He wants us to go about it so that He can be the difference through us. How can I influence an inmate down at the prison if I behave exactly like that inmate? How can I go to the hospital and I can walk through the hospital and I can visit someone laying in there and I can be, how can I be an influence to them if I walk in and I'm just as sick as they are? If I don't have a joy, if I don't have a peace, if I don't have a comfort within me, if I don't have anything that I can share with them, any hope, how can I offer them anything? We all, we all have this same calling in our life to have that prayer life, to be that righteous person. What does righteous mean? It doesn't mean holier than anyone. It doesn't mean better than anyone. It doesn't mean greater than anyone. 
What it means is that we are following God's prescribed plan. And we may fall short and we will fall short. But when we do, we realize it and we get up and we dust ourselves off. We repent of our failure and we move on. We move forward with it. And we learn and we grow in the process. See, everything in verse 16 is a growing process. It is a growing process for both parties involved. For those who have to confess. And let me say this. Every one of us will be a person having to confess in life to other people and to God. And every one of us will be a person having to receive that confession from someone else in life. And there is not one of us that says, well, I'm always over here in this group. Or I'm always over here in this group. No. This applies. We are all one or another at some point in life. And multiple times in life with most of us. Because when we try and when we strive to do, we have a tendency of not putting any thought in what we do. We say things we shouldn't say. We say them away in a way we shouldn't say them. We do things we shouldn't do. We get our feelings hurt and we become vindictive and we want to retaliate. And we want to just harden up and bow up and be defensive. God says that's not where we stand. That's not who we are. What does this result in? Look at verses 17 and 18. And look at Elijah. Elias is Elijah. The Bible tells us that he was a person just like we are. He was subject to the same passions that we are subject to. He gets the same, the same emotions He gets his feelings hurt. He hurts people's feelings. He has the same problems and he faces with the same situation, the same circumstance that all the rest of us deal with. There is nothing different in his life than in your life. The struggles of life weigh upon him. And yet, yet his life was such and his walk with God was such that he prayed and he asked God for it not to rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Three and a half years. What kind of an impact could we make in the world if we had that kind of righteousness? If we had that kind of a relationship with God, We can't say, oh, that's just Elijah. It will never happen with us. The Bible just said he was just like you and I. If it can happen with Elijah, it can happen with you. And it can happen with me. Do we want that kind of relationship? Are we willing to put ourselves, invest ourselves into that kind of relationship with God? Because that's what it takes. Elijah had to invest himself. You and I will have to invest ourselves. That not only means how closely we walk with God, but how closely we walk with each other. Do we 
Do we trust one another? Do we have confidence in one of other, one another? We need to have. If we can't have confidence in brothers and sisters in Christ, who can we have confidence in? What are we willing to embrace? What are we willing to invest ourselves in today? I hope you're willing to invest yourself in your relationship with God and invest yourself in the relationship you have with one another because it is those relationships that's going to impact the world outside for Jesus Christ. All of the uh, we we can go through all of the expository teaching we want to go through. We can go through all of the knowledge of scripture. We can quote as much scripture as we want to quote. We can sit through as many classes, as many sermons, as many services as we want to sit through. But if we're not willing to invest ourselves in, in the relationship that we have with Christ and the relationship that we have with one another, then it's going to go nowhere. And I'll say this as I close. If we invest ourselves in Christ, if we invest ourselves in what God has in store for us, if we invest ourselves in that relationship, then we're going to invest ourselves in everything associated with it. If we're invested in Christ, then we're going to be invested in seeking forgiveness of others. If we're invested in Christ, we're going to be invested in giving forgiveness to others. If we're invested in Christ, we're going to be invested in supporting and attending church service. If we're invested in Christ, we're going to be invested in supporting the church that we're a member of. If we are invested in Christ, we're going to be in part of it. We're going to be invested in what He wants. It's going to be about Him. It's not going to be about me. It's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about this click or that click. It's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be what He wants. It's going to be about how He wants it. It's going to be about investing in Himself. Us investing in Him as our Lord and Savior. If you've ever paid attention to that phrase, after someone accepts Jesus Christ, He becomes Lord of their life. Then the phrase changes and Lord will always come first and Savior second. Because once we are saved and we are a child of God, He is the Lord and Master of our lives. He is my Lord and my Savior. Not one before the other. He is both. If you're saved today, He is your Lord and your Savior. If someone is here today and they're not saved and they don't know Jesus as their Savior, you can't know Him as Lord. You can't invest yourself or embrace Him Invest in Him until you first know Him as your Savior. You have got to have accepted Him as Savior. Then He becomes your Lord, and then it all starts growing and building. Are you ready this morning to embrace that relationship? Are you ready to invest yourself in kingdom growth? 
I hope so. Because that's what God's asking of each of us. Each of us this morning. Not my neighbor. Not my fellow church member. Not my co-workers. But me. I'm in. And that's what you have to get to the point that you understand as well. You're it. You're the one that God is speaking to. We all are individually. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close this morning, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of opening and sharing your word. Lord, I thank you for the blessings of salvation. God, you are light and you are life to this world. Lord, I thank you for all of the instruction all the teaching from Your Word. And Lord, I pray that we would apply it to our hearts and our lives today. I pray that we would walk away wanting to invest in You. Wanting to invest ourselves in You. I pray that we would find, we would find the humility to confess our faults one to another. I pray that we would find the humility to genuinely and truly forgive those who have sinned against us. I pray that we would find the strength and the growth for a prayer life. A prayer life that would be as strong as Elijah's. A life that would be as righteous as he is, as righteous as would allow it to be for us to grow in relationship with you and one another. God, I pray for our, our righteousness and I pray I pray for our service. I pray for a conviction to be closer to you today. And I pray for it not only in my personal life, but I pray for it in the life of everyone listening to this message. Because God, if we want to see the world change, we're going to have to be the change that it begins with. It must begin with us. And I pray that we would have that conviction. In Jesus' name I pray.